What a powerful, powerful video. Good morning. I am Dwayne Taylor. It's my privilege to be the senior pastor here, the teaching pastor. And I'm very glad to be with you and feeling much better, thank you, um, than I did last week. A lot better. You know, I even brought David in on, I picked that video out probably, I guess, about a month ago um, when I was playing this great big series. And I even brought David. I said, David, I want you to watch this with me one more time. And actually, for the first time for him, about the third time for me, I said, will it communicate something to our people? And he watched it and said, yes, powerful, and yes, it will, and got to be careful not to get people tied up in the emotion of it. That's why we didn't show it at the end. We showed it at the beginning. But, you know, as you watch that, and, and, and David Platt was right that hell is not a politically correct topic anymore. Um, but the truth is, hell is a reality. Something like 80% of people believe in heaven, about 25% believe in hell. But this Bible that we love and hold dearly, in fact, Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than he did for heaven. Than he did heaven. Hell is a reality. Hell is a reality. And, and the truth is, every person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior will spend eternity in a place called hell. Now, we always kind of, in fact, David chuckled at the image of the guy rising from the slime because that comes from a movie he knew. I didn't know that movie. But, you know, we, when we see pictures of hell, I think we sometimes say, well, yeah, it's really not like that. And I must say I agree with you 100%. Hell is not like that. It's worse than you can ever imagine. It's worse than you can ever imagine. Imagine billions and billions of people over through the ages, from Adam and Eve forward, um, all the people who rejected Jesus Christ as Savior, they are there now in their place of constant torment, but never dying. Eternal pain, but never evaporating. That is the picture of hell. And then you had a really quick glimpse. We had the picture of Jesus, and then we had the picture of Jesus from the, on the cross. And, and that comes from the movie The Passion uh, by Mel Gibson. And we look at that and we go, well, that, that, the hell, uh, excuse me, the cross was not really like that. No, you're absolutely right. Again, it was much worse. It was much worse. The sanitized picture that we have of the cross comforts us. But the truth is the Roman executors, executioners were very, very, very good at what they did. And the truth was Jesus Christ, his flesh was stripped away. Um, he was beaten, teeth knocked out. The fact that he even made it to the cross was pure power of God. Often, often the victim would die before they even made it to the cross. Those are important truths, though, for us to understand that we have a job to do. We have a job to do. You see, we live in a culture where heaven is the default destination. In our brains, somehow... 99% of people make it to heaven. If you've ever gone to a funeral I do, I will, I will take hold uh, and grab hold of someone who prayed a prayer when they're six years old and they've lived like nothing since then. But we'll grab a hold of that and apply God's grace. And God's grace, the shorthand is not on God's grace. God's grace is more than adequate. And we pray that person did experience God's grace. But, but heaven is not the default destination. Hell is. You, in order to go to heaven... You've got to make a conscious act, a conscious decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Trusting what Jesus Christ did on this cross and trusting nothing else. Not your good works, not your religion, not the fact your mama or your daddy was a good believer. You have got to trust in this cross in order for heaven to become your destination. And millions and millions and millions of people never make it to heaven because they have not made that decision. You say, well, Dwayne, where do you get that, that heaven's not the default? Well, I get it from Jesus. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Heaven's not the default. Hell is. But because of God's amazing grace and because of Jesus Christ, the way is open to every person to have eternal life, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The problem is God in his wisdom, God in his sovereignty has placed that magnificent news in the hands of us. And it's so important that we do seriously what God has called us to the, the, the great big plan of God 
to get the great big news out about Jesus Christ. And every church, including this one, we've got to take it seriously that it is our responsibility, that God has placed it in our hands. Now, we can't worry about other churches, but we can worry about ours. That God has placed it in our hands to get the good news sent out about Jesus Christ. So we started a study. Now, this is our fourth week and last week. We started a study called Great Big. Talking about God's great big plan. The, the what we Christians know as the Great Commission. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19. And Jesus prefaces it by saying, now listen, all authority. Say please, all authority. All authority. Now, all authority, he says, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Talking to Jesus. He said, he said, because I am the Christ, because I am the Son of God, all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. Because of that, go. Go. And we understood that in the Greek, it's a, it's a constant thing. And it literally translates, as you go, as a Christ follower, as you do life, we are to do something. And that is to make disciples. It means our journey in life. I, I heard Teresa reference the journey here. And each one of us, as we do life, whether we do it in a coal mine or a bank, or whether we do it at school, or whether we do it as a, a, a housewife, or whether we're professional um, religious type people like me, David, and Brent, um, whether you work at a church like, like Bert and Adrian as a custodian, regardless whether you work at Walmart or Kroger's, as you weave your way through this life, you are to make disciples. Um, literally, that means we are to reproduce what's in us in the lives of others. Assuming, of course, now, no, no assumption. This is written to, to Christ followers. That as we have experienced God's grace, as we know God's grace, we are to reproduce and share that news in the lives of other people. And then he says, not only that, we are to do that, but we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that day, how incredibly important baptism is. And remember we learned that baptism was not even a religious word? That back in the Greek days, so the early, you know, when the, the New Testament was being written in the Conine Greek, that baptize was a secular word. And as our authors saw a word that described what they're trying to say, they borrowed from the Greek culture the word baptize. The word baptize means to dip. It means to put under. But more importantly, I think it means to put into. To put into. So, so baptism for, for a Christ follower is an opportunity to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. It's like when, when the pastor is up there and he's fixing to baptize you. And you're saying, I am a Christ follower. That, hey, we're Teresa. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's really huge in America, but it's really huge in places like Africa. Because when you are publicly baptized, word gets around that so-and-so is a Christ follower. All of a sudden, stores won't sell to you. All of a sudden, you're just owned by your family. In China, often a public baptism means execution. In America, it can mean ridicule. But it's an opportunity for us to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I identify myself with this man, the, the, the Christ man, the God man, Jesus Christ. But the powerful truth, the, I mean, the, the really powerful truth is that in baptism, Paul said that we are buried with him in baptism and then we're raised to walk in this newness of life. And, and in scripture there, and Corinthians talks about that, that when that Christ that Christ died to the power of sin. That Christ died to himself. In other words, the cross, again, it was a horrible instrument of torture. And he in the garden said, not my will, God, but Father, but your will be done. So he, it's a picture of him dying to himself. And it's a picture of us dying to ourselves. But he didn't stay dead, did he? Come on now, come on. I know it's a cold day, and, and Brent brought you know, bad weather with us, okay? But, but listen, listen, listen. He didn't stay dead, did he? No, he didn't. Death could not hold him down. And he resurrected himself to news, just like we one day will be resurrected. But as he died to sin, and he raised the walk, the power of sin, he raised the walk in this incredible power. It's a picture for us. Because we are in Christ. We identify with his death. Just like he died to self. We die to self. And just like he died to the power of sin, Paul said, we die to the power of sin. Now, here's the incredible truth of that. All of a sudden, there are options available. Because before Christ, 
You had no power over sin. Before Christ, when temptation came knocking to, to do whatever it was in your life, you had no power to resist. You had no choice but to resist because you were in an Adam. But when you became a Christ follower and got in Christ, then all of a sudden you have options and you have power. And that's the power of the picture of baptism. It gives you the ability, when you walk up to a situation and temptation is tempting you to do something, you can say these words. And I've been doing it. Sin is not my master. Which means all of a sudden it reminds me that, wait a minute, I have an option. I can sin or not sin. I can gossip or not gossip. I can lust or not lust. I can cheat or not cheat. I have an option. So I've started in my life, when I see a situation coming, I'm going, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Sin is not my master. And by the power of Christ, I determine, am I going to sin or not? Sometimes I still go on. But I'm finding myself more and more going, no. I don't have to sin because the power of Christ lives within me. It's not the little old Dwayne Taylor choo-choo drain going, I think I can, I think I can. I can do nothing apart from Christ. And neither can you. He said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Without me, you can do nothing. But we've raised a generation of Christians that say, well, I just, just, just try hard. Come on, just try hard. We can't do it. Christ can and does. So you can walk up and say, sin's not my master. We have an option. And there's so much freedom and power in that. And we're going to teach on that hopefully later on in the fall this year. So we're to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Beautiful symbolism of what Christ has done for us. But then he goes to that third part. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. We are to lead them to Christ. We're to teach them the incredible power of baptism and the symbolism thereof. And then we're not to stop there. We're to teach them all, to observe all things, to, to apply what the Word of God speaks about to Christ followers. Now, we have brand X, which is our brand, and we have Christ brand of discipleship. We have what we, how we do discipleship, mainly in America, and how Christ did discipleship and, and illustrates and gives an example in the New Testament. Now, our brand of discipleship, it varies, but it goes something like this. We lead a person to Jesus Christ. Then we say, now, now, now listen, because you love Jesus, you ought to be baptized. Remember, and I've used this illustration tons of times. You know, if it's a young person, particularly, it works really well. Um, if your mom asks you to clean your room because you love your mom, what do you do? Well, I clean my room, yeah. Well, you love Jesus now, so you should be baptized. And that's cool. That's cool. You should be baptized. But again, I didn't go far enough in teaching the power of the illustrations of baptism. And then I say these things. I say, all right, now here's what you need to do. You need to go to church. You need to uh, read your Bible. And you need to pray. And then we throw this person, lock, stock, and barrel, into a big old church, and say, go for it. And we wonder in amazement why six months down the road we look around and go, where are they at? Well, last time I checked, we don't do that with babies. I mean, I'm watching Sarah and, and she feeds that kid like 18 times a day. I mean, he, she didn't bring him home from, Will from, from the hospital and say, okay, um, listen, the milk is over there. Uh, the refrigerator's got, if you know, you want a little more, some more substantial, there it is there. The diaper's in the closet. I know it's a little tricky, but you could probably figure it out. Okay, the wipes are there. Good luck? No. And, and we don't even like when they get older in kindergarten. We don't go, okay, now, um, supper's at six. Um, you know, if you can find your way there. Or listen, why don't you cook supper now? You're six. But hey, you got to learn sometime. We don't do that, do we? And yet our brand of discipleship is exactly that. It's brand X. Now, now let me give you an incredible illustration. Two communist revolutions took place. One was in Russia and one was in China. In Russia, before the communist revolution, it was a, had a very strong religious system. But it was based on the hierarchy of the church. In other words, the professional clergy 
taught the people, did all of that. And all the people did basically was show up for church. And a priest would give them the sacraments and the priest would teach them a little bit from the word of God and send them out. When the communist revolution happened in Russia, the church literally imploded. Today, even after so many years after the Berlin Wall has fallen, so many people in Russia count themselves as atheists. Because when they took away the hierarchy of the church, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no clue what to do. And so they simply believed what they were told, that God was a myth. Fast forward to China. There was a communist revolution in China. But the difference was, is that the Christians, going back all the way to Lai Moon, the Christian movement in China never was one with hierarchy. Often they were small groups. Often they were um, house churches. And the people were taught from the ground level that you need to get into the Word of God and say the Word of God. You need to apply the Word of God. You are responsible for your own spiritual growth. And when it imploded, or when the revolution came, the exact opposite happened. The church was driven underground, but today... China has one of the strongest churches in the world today. Even though if it's known you're a believer, it could cost you your life. Even though you end up in prison, even though you could be tortured, people still follow Christ. And the reason there's such a strong Christian movement was it wasn't based on the preacher said. It was based on believers who were taught how to feed themselves. Now, I'm very fearful that in a few years, in my lifetime, as David says in his lifetime, that we will be much like Russia and China. You know, and you know that America is slowly moving away to a more atheistic, anti-God sediment. I don't know how far it's going to go, but I do know this, that now is the time for you to prepare yourself for that time by becoming a strong Follower of Jesus Christ. So our brand's not going to get the job done. It has failed and failed miserably. In fact, I would say this. Discipleship is the single greatest detriment in our church. And we can go to, now to various degrees, you can go to Little Chapel, you can go to Banks and Fork, you can go to First Baptist, you can go to Methodist, you can go to Presbyterian. This is an um, American pandemic, if you will, in the Christian church. And we must get back To not brand X, not our brand of discipleship, but his brand of discipleship. Have amen? Now, fortunately, we're not left alone to grapple with what does that mean? All we have to do is look how Jesus did discipleship, and we get a perfect example of how we are to do discipleship. So we want to start this morning in Mark and chapter 3. Verse number 13 through 15. And what I want you to... Now, I've got a sermon sheet in your bulletin. And I want you to follow along. If you've got a sheet, if not, write these things down. First off, this. Discipleship equals time. Discipleship equals time. Oh, oh, I need to say... Can I just pause for a moment? There are times I get to preach from victory. There are times I get to stand before you and say, Man, this is something that God's really working on in my life. I've, I've mastered a lot of it. Here you go. Go team. There's sometimes that, that I know you're going through a particular time, like the tornado. I stand up as pastor and teach the Word of God for your situations where you are. But sometimes, and I'm very uncomfortable doing so, I have to teach from a deficit. What I'm about to share with you are things I know that I need to apply in my life. So I am definitely on the floor with you in this sermon. All right? Discipleship equals time. Let's look at Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Then he, Jesus went up up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. So, so Jesus calls a group of people to himself. All right, now watch this. The Bible says, then he appointed 12. Time out. Out of that group of people, Jesus chose a small group. 
He chose 12 people. And argumentatively, you can say this. What Jesus did with those, all right, 11 people, the 12th can be Matthias if you want, the 12th can be the Apostle Paul, however your theology fits. We know Judas bombed, okay? But out of those 12, if the 12th is either Matthias or Paul, out of those 12 people, the world has been changed. Isn't that just, just wait a minute, stop. Let that soak in. Here we are 2,100 centuries later. And through what the program that Jesus implemented with discipleship, the world has been changed as we know it. We even altered the calendar around the teachings of Jesus Christ. So he chooses 12 people. All right? And here it is. Here's the key phrase. Underline your Bibles. If you've got your pad or your iPhone, highlight it. Here is the, here's the key. Then he appointed 12, verse 14, that they might be with him. For three years, these 11, 12 guys walked with Jesus. For three years, he spent time. Say time. He spent time with them. He didn't say, okay, guys, great. You decided to follow me. Here's the deal. I want you to go out in the temple. You need to go to the temple every day. Okay? Now, I want you to go get the, um, the book of Isaiah. Uh, chapter 53 is particularly about me. And so I want you to take it and I want you to memorize chapter 53. He, he didn't say, oh, 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 oh. And by the way, you probably all have a quiet time. Which all those things are important. We'll talk about in a moment. Okay? No. He spent time with them. And there is no substitute for the fact that Jesus spent time. And biblical discipleship demands time. Because in those time, we pour ourselves into others. Now, Jesus poured himself into the eleven. All that he knew, what he knew, who he was, God's great big plan for the world... He spent three years pouring in two. And an amazing thing started happening. They started looking like him. When he poured himself into them, he did, they, they didn't turn purple and he was brown. It just simply looked like Jesus was poured into them. And they started looking, acting, thinking like Jesus. And that can only happen with time. You can't do it by simply saying you need to read your Bible. We've got to invest time in the lives of other people who become Christ followers. I was talking to my friend Tim Sadler at a conference about a month and a half ago. How do you keep people in the church? He said, time. And I said to myself, I don't have time. Which the answer is, you better find time, Dwayne. Because time is how you make disciples. What was the result of that? Look what it says. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. The result was what Jesus did, they learned how to do. Do you see it? How incredible is that? Now, now remember... Remember that healing and disease, uh, demon casting out, those kind of things, were all designed to point to the Messiah. I'm not saying Jesus does heal still. And believe me, we've prayed demons out of people in Africa. But, but for most of us here today, it's pouring out who Jesus is into their lives by daily demonstrating who Jesus is to you. And you, they will know you're my disciples by the way you love others. It's just huge. It's just huge. So discipleship equals time. And as we spend time with other people and help them grow, they'll become more like Jesus. Discipleship equals time. Not only that, discipleship equals small groups. Discipleship equals small groups. Real quickly, let's go through these folks. We have Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Remember him? Everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows Peter. Okay, all right. James, the son of Zebedee, 
And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. I learned how to pronounce that this week just for you. Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Now, we heard of James and John. They, Peter, James, and John were like the inner circle with Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember, what was their nickname? Sons of thunder. There's a reason they were called sons of thunder. And it wasn't they liked the weather channel. Okay? All right? Then we have, um, we have uh, Andrew. Well, now, Andrew was a soul winner. He brought his brother to Jesus. Andrew was always bringing. When the little boy had the fish, he brought him to Jesus. So we know Andrew because he was kind of like a soul winner kind of person. Uh, Philip, we're going to talk about him tonight in church at 6 o'clock. Philip the evangelist. Philip was the kind of guy that was always going out and telling others about Jesus in that way. Bartholomew. No, not, not, not a whole about old Bart. Not a whole lot. Uh, Matthew, well, we know he was a tax collector, and he was a really like bad guy and met Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Not, not a real major player uh, overall. Um, Thomas, how many of y'all know Thomas? Good old Daddy Thomas, yeah, come on, Daddy Thomas. We know him. James, the son of Alphaeus, yeah, yeah, we kind of know him a little bit, but, but not very much. And Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite, well... We don't know them hardly at all. You know, when, when, they, when they do the, the thing, the Lord's Supper thing out at the college, there's some of those guys that they just have to spend on the tradition because we don't know anything about them. But here's what I want you to get. Take it to the bank. Mark it down. Don't lose it. Every one of those guys, every one of those guys was a major player in the first century. Some got mentioned more in the Bible, but just because their deeds weren't marked in the Bible doesn't mean they weren't doing something. And I want you to hear this. There was not one theologian in the bunch. There's not. These were fishermen. These were common, everyday people who Jesus Christ poured himself into their lives. And these ordinary guys changed the world. Don't tell me that God can't use the Doorsville Baptist Church to start changing our world. Don't tell me that. There's no where in Scripture where it says you've got to have a doctrine in front of your name or even a degree with your name to be greatly used of God in discipleship. Every one of us, God wants to use and God can use. So, so we have these, these amazing guys. Now, every one of us needs to be, well, let me write this down. Every one of us needs to be in a small group. Every one of us needs to lead a small group. We need to be in a small group, but we need to lead a small group. Now, we all agreed that Mike was greatly used of God last week. He didn't have the opportunity to say, but let me tell you something. I, I'm, I'm really good friends with Mike, and we spend time on the phone and talking personally. There's about seven guys that Mike calls and contacts and spends time with. Like, 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. Hey, you got time, Mike? Stops through his time. Now, these are guys he's working with mainly in alcohol. Same principle. There are guys that Mike sacrifices to help. He has a small group. That he works with. Every one of us. And, and the reason, by the way, the reason why he's effective with those people. You know, have you noticed they don't call the preacher? I don't have a clue about alcoholism. My mama gave me a teaspoon of wine, teaspoonful of wine when I was eight years old because she was based in a fruitcake. But listen, my brother Mike knows about alcoholism. That's what makes him an effective disciple. And I'm telling you, you this, this room, listen, this room is filled with experiences. You've got experience in this part over here that I don't have. And you can disciple people that I can't touch. Because you're in their world. And this part has, has so many experiences that I don't have. And Brent doesn't have. And David doesn't have. And God can use you to disciple people. And it's true here. And it's true there. Joe, in your plumbing world, you've got experiences of plumber that you can reach other people in your world and help them grow in Christ. Lead them to Christ and help them grow into Christ. That's why all of us need to lead a small group. 
You know someone here, they come to church and they get saved. Maybe they work for Joe. All of a sudden, Joe has the opportunity while they're riding the truck one day to say, so how are you doing? Hey, hey let, let, me tell you, let me tell you what happened in my life that, that helped me in that situation. Hey, hey, did you, did you have your quiet time this morning? Hey, hey, I read John chapter 3, and let me tell you how it really impacted my life. That's leading a small group. That's leading a small group. We all need to be in a small group, but we all need to lead a small group. It can happen at the bank. It can happen at Walmart. Gary, it can happen at Kroger's. We all can lead a small group. But we really need to be a part of a small group. Let me give you three small groups. Every believer. Please say every believer. Okay, number one. The church. Now you say, wait a minute, Dwayne. 300 people meeting together is not a small group. It is compared to the world. Church is important. This casual thing about I can hit and miss when I want to is a dangerous thing for a believer in Jesus Christ. You need to be as faithful as you can. Not for rules. But the truth is, when you get in this room corporately, you're with people who are struggling with the same things you are and might be able to disciple you with an issue. Now, we heard it. If you weren't here last week, you have no idea what this man said. But if you were here or listening on the radio and go, I heard it, and man, it touched a string in my heart. My addiction isn't alcohol. Mine's food or mine's prescription painkillers. I mean, you had to be here. So make this small group a regular part of your life. Not legalistically. Not I've got to go to church or else. For what it can bring into your life. Second thing is this. We all need to be a part of a Bible study small group. Now, this has fallen out of vogue in our church. Every week, somewhere around 100 people walk in who somehow, for another reason, is not involved in a small group. Um, Some people say Sunday school, and that's kind of the old term. We try to use Bible study now. But Sunday school is for children. It is for children. And all of us are children of God. Dwayne, what's the benefit of being in a Bible study group? Well, one, what a great opportunity to ask questions. Okay, about the Word of God, okay? But, but primarily, another great benefit is relationships. You build a relationship. When you're not there, believe me, somebody notices. When you're struggling, someone notices. And as you build relationships, you can say to a person in your relationship, what you won't even say to me is your pastor. But, 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 but if you know that person, say, hey, by the way, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm going through something right now. There's a real power in a biblical Small group. And I want to, as you, if you trust me as your pastor, now I'm not talking just church members. I, if you come twice, I'm your pastor. If you will trust this pastor, if you are not a member of a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or a Saturday morning small group, please get into one. It will help you so, so much. The truth is, we may not know all that's going on in your life if you just come to worship. But when you get in a small group, all of a sudden, we know more about you and we can pray for and minister to you more effectively. So we need to be in a Bible small group. And I, I'm going to run you a little bit late tonight. I didn't get to preach last week or this morning, so just give me a couple extra minutes this morning. This is, this is one of those things I've got to be honest with you and tell you I'm struggling with. When I came to Dorisville Baptist Church, I attended a Sunday school class every stinking week. Whatever I was doing, I stopped at 9 o'clock and went to a Sunday school class. About maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago, um, Joe Kennedy noticed something. I always sign my article with, God bless you, have a great week, and I'll see you in Sunday school. All of a sudden, I changed that saying this, God bless you, have a great week, and I'll see you in worship. Joe was astute. He said, Dwayne, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, why are you not signing your article anymore? I'll see you in Sunday school. I said, because that wouldn't be true. Because during the Sunday school hour, I'm using my office, but on the finishing touches on the message. And as I was preparing for this, God had been taught in my heart. He said, Dwayne, you need to be back in a small group. And guess what? This morning, I was. And you know what? It made me get in church at 8 o'clock. 30 minutes earlier than I had been. Because I had to make sure the flags were out. I'd make sure 
things, you know, that's just what I do. Um, I had to make sure I had my tea in my cup. I had to make, there were things I have to do, and I was using that as an excuse not to go to a small group. I don't know what your excuse is. It's too early to get up, I don't know. But I'm telling you, the benefits will far outweigh the trouble. So I give you permission to hold me accountable. Check me last week, next week. Hey, did you go to Saint school? And Joe, I'll start signing that article again. I'll see you in a small group. Amen? Give it, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. Check with me. Check with Dave. We'll point you to a small group where you can be a part. I understand. The third small group is you and God. You and God. You've got to have a quiet time. Not for legalism. Not for legalism. Not because Dwayne said or the Bible said or, or he said. Man, that time with you and Jesus, it can happen in your car. It can happen when you're jogging. I don't care. But you've got to have a time with you and God. That's the ultimate small group. And when you put those three things together, it will radically change how you are affected as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's powerful. Discipleship equals small groups. Okay, I'll, I'll cruise to the rest. Discipleship equals teaching. Discipleship means... That's what happens in a small group, but it also means what happens in your life. Again, I need to be in a small group, but I need to lead a small group. It's very, very, very important. Now, you won't raise your hand today, but you'll say this. I am not competent enough to lead a small group. In other words, I can't lead anyone else. Perfection is not required to be a discipler. A degree is not required to be a discipler. Every one of you, I'll say it again, have life experiences that fully qualifies you to be a discipler. Perfection is not required. A degree is not required. But authenticity is. See, Jesus was perfect. He had just a little bit of advantage over us. Well, did you know even Jesus was authentic? Listen, listen. I have amazingly messed up. We'll work through it. Go ahead. Go ahead and move down. Disciple equals authenticity. Mark 14. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter... James and John is in a circle and began to be what? Troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Now imagine. You've told these guys you're the Son of God. You've told these guys I'm the ultimate king. And yet our Savior was so authentic with them, he could say, You need to know something about me. I'm really distressed right now. In fact, I'm almost distressed enough to die. You don't have to be perfect if you'll just be authentic. Don't be afraid to tell a person you're discipling, I'm struggling right now. In fact, I think it's kind of cool. Watch this. The last part of the verse says this. Stay here and watch. Now, I know what that means. Jesus said, I'm going through a difficult time and I don't want to be by myself. So would you stay with me? But can I put a little different spin on it? Stay here and learn. Even in my sorrowfulness, I'm going to show you how a, a follower and lover of God is sorrowful. Are you getting it? Hey, 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 guys, watch this. Father, I know I came for this. I know. But God, Father, I am dreading the cross and I am dreading becoming sin. So if there is any way this cup can pass, let it be done. Nevertheless, it's not what I want, it's what you want. How many of you say today that's a lesson worth learning? And they were there with him. Yeah, he wanted their support, but he wanted them to learn. So even if you're saying, well, I'm not perfect, I'm weak in some areas, you can disciple someone even in and through your weaknesses. Be authentic. Be authentic. 
Now, we're going to go ahead. I'll let you have teach you. Disciples of teaching. I'm going to leave that alone. Okay? I won't go back to that. Read it on your sermon sheet. Read the scriptures. Now, here's the question. Does it work? Does it work? Okay. Well, I've got to go back a little bit. The dudes, remember James and John, the sons of? Say thunder loud. Thunder. Make it thunder. Thunder. They had a temper problem. So much so, in that scripture we didn't reference, <laughs> they didn't like Jesus, so James and John says, you want us to call down fire from heaven and fry them? And Jesus said, no, you don't know the kind of spirit that lives within you. And he rebuked them. The sons of thunder, they had a real temper problem. Their answer, their answer to our cultural problem would be firebomb the firebomb the courthouse. It would be. Now, take action. Now, you know something incredible? Remember Mr. John, the Sons of Thunder? Do you know what he got a new name too? It's probably in your it's probably listed in one of the hands of your Bible. John the Beloved. The same guy who said, hey, Jesus, you want to call some fire down on them people? Said this. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not... Love with word or speech, but with truth and action. And, and you know what you would say? You'd say, that kind of sounds like Jesus. And I would say, good point. Where did John get that from? From Jesus. <laughs> from Jesus. You're going to be amazed. Temptation's going to walk up and stare you in the face. And you're going to say, sin is not my master. And before you said, who cares? Let's go. And one day you're going to go, I don't think so. It's not that all of a sudden you got super strong. It's that you let the strength and power of Jesus finally loosen your life. And you realize you had an option. That's what happened with Mike and the alcohol. He cried out to God and said, God, I can't do this. And Jesus said, I think I can. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. If Jesus can change John, the son of thunder, into John, the beloved, he can do it in your life. And he can do it in the life of the guy you're trying to help as you lead your small group, as you pour your life into someone else, as you spend time with someone else. Dwayne, what about James? Well, there's another story we didn't have time to saw on your sermon sheet. But James and John, the sons of thunder... Also had a little ego issue. So they walk up to Jesus one day and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, we know you're in the, we're in the inner circle here. We're your buds. Um, how about this? How about, um, do you think maybe that when you like, get on the throne, could we like sit on your left and right-hand side? You know, we, we know we're, the, we're, we're pretty cool. You know, we're tight with you. Do you think we could sit on the left-hand side? And Jesus goes, you don't know what you're asking. What you're asking. Guess what happened to James? The guy who said... Can I sit on your left or your right? You know, want to be the prince? Let me read it to you. Acts 12. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. The guy who one day said, I see this going political and I want to be on the right or left hand side, laid his life down for the cause of Christ. Wait, wait, wait. You say, Dwayne, that sounds a little bit like Jesus did. I agree with you. How did that happen? Three years for Jesus. Does Jesus' brand of discipleship work? Uh Uh-huh, it does. And here's the deal, dude. 
If all we do is tell them of Jesus and, and if they make some kind of commitment and then we go out there and they drown, well, that's cool they made a commitment, but we've done them a disservice. So I'm praying and praying and David's praying and Brent and I are praying together and we're saying, God, help us. Help us in the youth. Help us in education. Help us as pastor, as lead pastor. God, how can we better disciple people so they don't go out and drown? That we reproduce followers of Christ. That God, how can we in this busy world find the time to pour what's in us in the lives of others? And, and, and God, may, may please, 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 may what's in us look a whole lot like Jesus. So that when we do pour in someone's life, we pour you. We pour you. Great big, isn't it? Isn't it? Huge. Huge. We could get wowed by the numbers. 1.6 billion people in the world have never heard the name of Jesus. Something like, like 3.5, 4 billion people in the world are lost. 258 million people in Illinois are lost. I'm, I'm sorry. 8 million in Illinois. 258 million in the United States. Lost. And we get so overwhelmed. Well, I tell you what, let's just do what Jesus called us to do. Let's be great big and, and let's find ways, like through a movie night, you're saying, why are we taking a Sunday night to show a movie? Because we're trying to introduce people to Jesus. Why do we have worship in the park? Because we're trying to lead people to Jesus. Why we do Bibles or, or Bible school or back to school? Or why we do the Palm Sunday thing? Or, or why... Well, because we're trying to lead people to Jesus. Because God said, it's great big. He's got a great big plan for reaching this great big world with a great big good news that Jesus saves. And he trusted us. You probably can't read this, but it's been on stage now for four weeks and we've had it in our four-year forever. David Platt has really got a handle on what we talked about today. He said, the truth is, there will continue to be millions and millions of people who do not hear as long as we continue to use spare time and spare money to reach them. A lot of truth in that. And we'll keep baptizing people and losing them unless we somehow can get in a small group, get in a small group, get in a small group. It's unless we somehow can be in a small group and we can lead a small group. Dwayne, isn't that kind of like what we have preachers for? Yeah, we're supposed to lead you and teach you. <laughs> and we're supposed to do it too, by the way. But come on. I mean, if you were to pull his shirt off and there's a big S under it that said Super Brent, then you take him and drag him up here and pull his shirt off and there's Super David. I'll unbutton mine. There's a white T-shirt. I ain't super nothing. <laughs> But we have this incredible super savior. Incredible super savior. Who can reach the darkest world. The darkest life. The one furthest down the road. And he's in us. He can become super. We can't. But he can. Would you this week. This year begin a journey. One journey. Become that follower of Christ. Be in a small group and leading a small group. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said in John 15.5 that he's the vine and we're the branch. And yet apart from him we can do nothing, which means with him we can do anything. All things are possible. All things are possible. Would you bow your head right there? God is just so incredibly good. This really is good news. I loved it when it said in that video, his name will be made big. It's just a matter of are we going to have the privilege of being a part in it or not. That's all. In the invitation time today, I want to ask you something. First off, if you're not a Christ follower, and I'm not talking about you belong to a church or you've been dunked by a pastor, 
But if you are not a Christ follower, I pray you heard enough of the great truth about Jesus Christ to come down and take this guy by the hand, Brent, and say, okay, I, I know there wasn't a whole lot about, about Jesus and what he did, but I heard enough today to know something. I want that. I want that. I want to be a part of something big, and I know I can't until I get this sin issue taken care of. We'll be glad to tell you about our best friend, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, a Savior worth living for and a Savior worth dying for. We'll be glad to share that. But I'm going to ask you, if you're not in a small group today, this is really big. First off, if, if church attendance for you is kind of an optional thing on Sunday, would you dare make a commitment in this month of February we just started? God, for the rest of the year, I'm going to do my very best to be more consistent in my church attendance. Not for legalism, but for edification. If you're not in a small group, would you think about it again? Maybe you're like me. You used to, and somehow you got out of the habit. I know. My, my purpose was good. I was studying the Word of God. But I short-circuited myself. So would you consider today, I'm going to be a part of a small group. Maybe you need to start that ultimate small group with you and Jesus every day. But frankly, most importantly, is there someone you know that you begin pouring time into their lives and help them in their journey either to Jesus or with Jesus? And would you say, okay, God, I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to be real and I'm willing to be used. Today be that day. Our altar is going to be open. If you want to pray for some friends you know that are lost or need help right now, the altar is open. If you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, Brother Brent would be standing here. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that. Perhaps you've never been baptized, and today you say, you know what? I want to identify with Jesus Christ. Scared to death, or my pride's in the way, but I want to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Tonight, by the way, at 6 o'clock, we're baptizing at least one, maybe three. We could get you in tonight. Perhaps you're here today and you've been visiting our church forever, and we're glad you are, and that's cool. We count you as family, but maybe today you want to join. Maybe you want to say, officially, I want my name on the paper. I want to join this team and be a part of changing the world through Jesus Christ in Dorsville. Whatever we can do for you, we're here today. Thanks, God. You're incredible. We love you. Thank you for your plan. Thank you. It's easy to follow. But, Father, we've got to do it. And time is the issue for me. Father, help us to make time for this great, big, important thing that you call the Great Commission. And, Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.